Please turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Luke once again. Luke chapter 6, verses 27, beginning down through verse 38. Luke 6, 27 is where we will begin our study. What a blessing it is to be here. Beautiful morning. We look out and see everyone that's present. We have several who are visitors with us this morning. Thank you so much for coming. And if you have any questions whatsoever about that which you hear or see, uh, feel free to ask one of the members here. Feel free to ask me, and I'll do what I can to sit down with you with an open Bible and an open heart and examine what the Scriptures have to say. Let us always have the mindset that wherever the truth takes us, whatever the truth is, that is what I am going to accept. And that's what I'm going to follow. And we are, in this series of lessons, looking at Jesus and learning from him how to follow him. So we're going to continue that this morning, and the focus is going to be on love and mercy. I don't know anyone who could sit at the feet of Jesus, read about the things that he taught, and come away uh, without being impressed by his love and his mercy for others. And this morning, that's exactly what we're going to be focusing on. So, let's begin our study in Luke, the 6th chapter. We've already pointed out, as we've sat at the feet of Jesus on several occasions, we have learned the need to listen to Him. First and foremost, He is Lord. And as we sit at His feet, we need to, we need to take in these lessons. And not just so that we can know what they are, but take them into our hearts so that we can be like Him. That's what being a Christian is all about, isn't it? Becoming like Jesus. Not just in what we do, by the way, but in how we think. Our attitude and disposition is to be like His. And if our heart is changed, then our actions also will change. That's really the whole point. To become like Jesus. And that is accomplished through listening to Him and applying His teaching to our lives. We need to learn how to respect the authority of the Scripture. Jesus has taught us that. We need to learn how to face rejection. Jesus has also taught us that. Those are a couple of very practical lessons for us. We need to learn how to trust in His authority. Yes, we all acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. But do we truly trust Him as Lord? He's going to do what He says. Both to the bad as well, of course, as the good. But He will do what He says. Seeking after the lost. That's what we talked about last Lord's Day morning. We need to learn how to love those who are lost. Love those who are lost in sin. Jesus has taught us those things. So let's focus in on this concept of mercy this morning. Some have called the gospel of Luke the gospel of mercy. Um, he healed the sick, cast out demons. He ate with sinners. He healed a centurion servant. Raised the widow's son. Um, he received you know, those who were sinners as far as encouraging them and lifting them up. And, and he did that even in the face of his critics. Knowing he was going to be criticized. He was a man who fed the poor, the hungry. He gave to those who helped as far as giving them their needs and providing for them who asked. He taught us how to be merciful to the lost and the parables of the lost sheep and the prodigal son. And the story of the rich man and Lazarus is a good example of how not to show mercy. So some have dubbed the, 
the book of Luke as a gospel of mercy. And so it is when you look at Jesus' life in general, you will see that he is certainly one who practiced mercy and taught mercy. In Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27, Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive this much back. But love your enemies. Do good. And lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you're, you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the unthankful. And evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Love and mercy. These principles, and of course, mercy stems from the love that's in one's heart. But this is really the heart of the gospel message. As we've been studying in our Sunday morning Bible class, the last three Sundays, love. The Bible has a whole lot to say about love. And one of the things that we have emphasized is that love is not, as the world thinks, a feeling. Love is the value that you place on someone or something. That's what real love love is. And love is a choice, my friend. We choose our values. We therefore choose who we value. We choose what we value. We make that choice. Love, therefore, is an act of the will. It is not something that merely springs from our feelings. Love is an act of the will in not only how we treat other people, but the things that we do for them. And as we look at the concept of love from a biblical perspective, we will constantly see that we, as children of God, must love. God loved us. He loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. So that's love. And so we also must love as He loved. Doing good, blessing, and praying for those who even mistreat us. One of the questions in class this morning was, why is it so hard to love our enemies? Why? It's because they don't treat us good. It's because they they hurt us, right? And that hurt, the natural response to that is to... Do the same back. But that's not the Bible way. That's not the Lord's way. We are to do good 
Treat them kindly. We are to bless. That is to speak well of. We, we are to be uplifting to them in the things that we say to them. And we are to pray for them. Not just about them, but we're to pray for them. Jesus says to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. Now the idea is that you do not retaliate insult for insult, punch for punch, stone for stone. That's not God's way. God's way is that you be merciful. You accept mistreatment, and instead of retaliating, you simply bear it. We are to forfeit our pride and react with humility and meekness. Jesus is not teaching that we are to just be floor mats. That's not the point. He doesn't say just try to find somebody that's going to beat you up and go and get, get, get beat up. That's not the point. The idea is that we are not to be people who retaliate, who return kind for kind, evil with evil. We are to overcome evil with good. Never should a Christian respond with evil, to evil, with evil. We're to do good. Our response is the idea. We are always to respond with good and not evil. Don't respond in kind. Offer mercy instead. Offer mercy. Be merciful to others. Do good regardless. If someone takes your cloak, Jesus says, do not withhold your tunic either. Be generous and kind, not expecting to be repaid. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, there are a lot of rules in life. Some say, do unto others before they do unto you. You know? Some say, do unto others more than they do unto you. From a negative perspective, if they do something bad to you, well, do even more to them. They'll think twice before they do it again. That's a lot of people's motto, but that cannot be our motto as Christians. We are to do to others as we would have them do unto us. And if we're going to be like God, we do have to be different from the world. We cannot follow the rules of the ungodly. We must follow the rules of our Father in heaven. God is merciful. God is loving. God is kind. God wants all of us to be blessed. Now, He's given us the way to blessing. He's not going to force that on us. He's not going to bring us to our knees to make us accept His blessings. What He's going to do is offer it and encourage us, provide an opportunity. We have the choice whether to receive it or reject it. But God does what is good. For all men. All good gifts come from the Father of lights. James tells us in James chapter 1. In Luke 6 and verse 35. But love your enemies. Do good and lend. Hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And by the way. The reward is going to be different in kind. It's going to be better. Because our reward is a spiritual. Eternal everlasting reward. We're not promised material rewards per se. That could happen, but that's not the part, part of the promise that we need to think about. The benefit of serving God is the eternal reward, the spiritual reward, the everlasting reward from Him. 
For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. He makes it rain on the just and on the unjust. He is an equal opportunity provider. Therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. We need to emulate our Father. If, by the way, if we are following His will and His teaching, we will become like Him. That's part of the process. The sons of God imitate God, Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Imitate God as dear children. God is the Father of mercies, according to 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. God is rich in mercy, according to Ephesians 2 and verse 4. Part of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ is receiving the mercy from God of the pardon of our sins, the redemption that we have in Christ. God is rich in mercy. God's mercy provides salvation for all men. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. And you get into Titus chapter 3. And verse 5, he emphasizes that it's because of God's love and kindness that His mercy toward us has appeared. That mercy is manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. God's mercy is for all who fear Him. They will be recipients of His mercy. His mercy is extended to everybody. But those who fear Him, those who turn to Him, will be recipients of His mercy. And God's people will obtain mercy at the coming of Christ, according to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 16. And certainly we all need mercy. You know what? If we stopped and really thought about it, we would realize how indebted to God we really are. If we stop to see our sin as He sees it, as it really is, we would recognize how indebted to God we really are. You know, when you think of the Apostle Paul, for example, in the book of Acts in the ninth chapter, when the Lord appears to Saul on the road to Damascus, and Saul's response is, Who are you, Lord? Of course, Jesus tells him that he is Jesus whom he had persecuted. And he's then told to go into Damascus. And Ananias would come to him. A man named Ananias would come and tell him what he must do. So what was Paul doing in those three days before Ananias got there? Paul was praying. Paul was fasting. Paul was spending time grieving over his sin. Do we see sin that way? Do we recognize how indebted we are to God for violating His will, for disrespecting Him and sinning against Him? And, of course, in despite of the fact that He's loved us and given His Son for us, do we see ourselves as in need of mercy? What is mercy? Well, let's talk about that for just a minute. Mercy is the outward manifestation of pity, according to Vine's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament words. It assumes need on the part of him who receives it and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. Another Greek term translated mercy or merciful, pity, compassion for the ills of others. 
And these definitions uh, pertain to all the terms, whether they're ad used as adjectives or verbs or nouns. Um, the idea of expressing kindness and help for those in need. Some have defined uh, mercy in contrast to their understanding of grace. and Kind of what is the difference between mercy and grace? I've heard some explain it this way. Mercy is not dishing out the punishment that someone deserves, while mercy is giving good and unmerited favor to the one that doesn't deserve it. And there is a tr some truth to that. However, that's not all that's involved in this concept of mercy. There's also the positive aspect that that definition leaves out. Mercy is showing compassion by taking action to relieve those who are in need. There is a positive manifestation of our mercy. And Jesus in Luke chapter 10 will describe that. We'll be turning to Luke 10 in just a moment. And seeing how, see how this plays out in real life. Mercy is compassionate action toward the suffering. Even when they are suffering from the consequences of their sins. That's what God's done. That's how we also must respond. And it's easy to look at someone and say they're getting what they deserve. Isn't it? That's easy. Look at what they've done to themselves. And that very well may be true. But as Christians, we still should have a heart of compassion. Well, because here's the reality of it. Every single one of us has sinned and violated God's will. And we're all in, in the same boat as far as being a sinner is concerned. Aren't we? Every single one of us. What I may not be tempted to do and you know, fall into, I've got my problems. And I need to understand that. They have their problems. Their problems may be costing them a lot more than mine. But I've still got problems. I need to be compassionate on other people. Even though they don't deserve my compassion. Even though they do not deserve my help. Mercy is demonstrated by forgiving those who have committed sin against me. That's an action of mercy. Mercy is not keeping score. Mercy is being compassionate towards others and understanding, trying to understand their need. And that is a quality, my friend, that all Christians need to strive to develop. Again, that's not always easy to do. There is something underlying the reason why mercy is not easy to practice. It's called selfishness and pride. Being biased or partial in our judgments. Prejudicial in our viewing of other people. Having our minds made up in such a way. And also self-righteousness will blind us to the needs of others. Can you see that when the Bible talks about the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, as Jesus talks about them being hypocrites, they could easily spot out the sins in others, couldn't they? They could easily identify others' failures. 
that Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray, it was easy for him to look down his nose at that publican, that tax collector, who had also come to the temple to pray. So, are we willing to look into our hearts and identify the true nature and the true status of our, of our heart as it relates to the love that God would have us to have and the mercy that God would have us to exhibit. To be unmerciful is to bring condemnation upon ourselves. This is an important point that we need to remember and understand as well. If we condemn others while we ourselves are practicing Sin doesn't, doesn't have to be the same kind of sin. doesn't have to be the same thing. But if we are condemning others who are sinners, while we ourselves are also sinners, we're no better than them. Isn't that true? We're no better than them. We may condemn someone for the drug use and the alcohol abuse. We may look down our, our eyes and our nose at them and think of them as being not worthy of our love and our compassion or our time because of the choices that they've made. While at the same time, we have done similar things. We do need to be careful about those things. Again, you know, it is true that there are consequences to our choices. We do reap what we sow. That is true. But we need to strive to look at them with compassion. And we need to look at ourselves honestly and realize we all need also the compassion of God. We're all in need of mercy. Every single one of us. If we are unmerciful in our dealings with others, we will not receive mercy from God. James 2.13 makes that very clear. And, and to set ourselves up as judges of other people, we put on our, put in ourselves, we're putting ourselves in a position of condemnation. And the Scriptures repeatedly emphasize that point. In all of our dealings with others, we need to remember that we are not to be the agents of God's wrath or of God's judgment, but we are to be instruments of God's mercy of God's love, of teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel, good news. There is salvation from sin. There is deliverance from sin. That's what we need to be busy focusing on, is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, preaching the gospel, part of that is identifying the sin, preaching against the sin, exposing sin, and showing people their condition in their sin because you cannot get someone saved until you first get them lost. Until they recognize their, their need for salvation, they're not going to be receptive to the gospel message. Sadly, I think that that is a great contributor to the difficulty today in spreading the gospel. We live in a world where People have been made to feel good and comfortable in their sin. And so how do you teach people who are comfortable in their sin that they need to become uncomfortable in their sin? That's difficult to do. But they need to become uncomfortable in their sin so that they can recognize their need for the mercy of God. And it's not being judgmental, by the way, to point out that which is sinful. 
It's being judgmental to condemn people thinking that we're better than them. Our hypocritical judgment is what the Lord condemns. But I, I want to look now at a, a practical illustration and application of the concept of mercy. And you can put this in real life scenarios today. You can just change, kind of like that old, uh, old show, TV show, Dragnet. Many of you are too young to remember. You, I see some strange people, Dragnet, what's that? You know, Sergeant Friday, and some of the names have been changed and all that, but it's supposed to have been based on true stories. Well, let's just say that you can change the names in this particular story that Jesus tells, and you can make modern-day applications to this parable very easily. But at the beginning in verse 25, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, departed leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain Pharisee, or priest came down that road, and when he saw him, passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked, looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave, him to the innkeeper, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? The Levi, the priest, or the Samaritan? Which of these three were neighborly to him? Who was his neighbor? And he said, he who showed mercy to him on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Making an application of the principle. Mercy is something that we are to ex extend to anyone whom we find in need. That's the point of this parable. Now, backing up, listen. This is a salvific issue, isn't it? This lawyer asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says what is written in the law. Of course, this man was under the law of Moses. Oh, we need to ask, you know, what does the Lord say? Now, we say, hear, repent, confess, and be baptized, and be faithful to the Lord, and you'll have everlasting life. You know, we know the five steps of salvation. All of those things are true. They need to be properly understood and properly applied. That's all true. But I want to tell you, my friend, you're not going to be saved if you don't learn how to love your neighbor. If you don't learn how to be merciful and kind, this is essential if you're going to be saved. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The principle has always been the same. 
This principle is true before the law of Moses was given at Mount Sinai. This principle is true in the teaching of Jesus Christ. This teaching is true in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 12. It's the truth. And if you're not going to love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. Whatever you do, if it's not of love, it's worthless. So, love is essential. The lawyer correctly summarizes the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbors yourself. He knew what the law said. We know that the Bible says we're supposed to love other people. We know that the Bible says that we are to love our neighbor. We even know that Jesus says love your enemies. We know what Jesus says. That's not the same as applying or following what Jesus says. He wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You know, we may tend to try to justify ourselves by saying something like, but you know what kind of person that is? Uh, but you, you, do you know what they've done to me? Do you, you, you know what they've done to so-and-so over here? Do you know what I've heard about that person? No, we may try to come up with things like that to justify not extending mercy, doing what is right toward that person. There are no excuses that will fly. None. It is not what we know about the teaching of Christ. It's not what we know of what He says. But the doing of it that makes it effectual. Be not hearers of God's Word, but doers also. James 1, 22-25. And even further down here in the book of Luke in the 6th chapter, as Jesus goes on, He uses, well, He tells the story of the two builders. You have the two builders, they both hear what the Lord says. But one is a doer of his words, the other one is not. And when the storms came, the one who did what the Lord said built his house on a solid rock, solid foundation. His building stood. And thus illustrating the point that Jesus makes in verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? We say Jesus is Lord. We'll apply that to things such as Believing and repenting, although do we really understand what repenting is? Repenting is more than just a cessation of terrible sinful activities. It is also a turning in our hearts and our minds to Jesus Christ. And by the way, the term repent literally means to change one's mind. That's what it means. And so what's happening is a person who turns to the Lord, they're, they're changing their minds from the things that are sinful to the things of the Lord. And when we truly repent, our thinking becomes like the Lord's thinking. We see things like the Lord would have us to see them. That's what real repentance is. And confessing, when we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when we confess that He's been raised from the dead and He is seated at the right hand of God, we're putting Him in that position of authority. We, our lives, our actions must coincide with our words. Our lives must come under His authority. That's what confession really is. And being baptized is submitting to His command to be united with Him in baptism. We're raised to walk in newness of life. That means now we are committed to Him. We're joined to Him. And we're giving our life to Him. 
and we talk about doing those things, love is just as important. That's what I want to impress upon you. The lawyer knew he had to love his neighbor. But he had failed to make the proper application in his life. A priest and a Levite each upon, you know, come upon the fellow that's, that's laying there bleeding in the road. They both choose to pass by on the other side. They see it. They see the same thing the Samaritan sees. Now, these are the religious people of the day. They were the ones who perhaps even had a scroll of God's word under their arm as they walked down the road. They were the preachers, the teachers of the law. And they chose to walk by on the other side. They knew the law, and they claimed to be observers of the law. They would argue with you all day long what the law taught. They could tell you the meticulous details of certain statements in the law. But yet, they didn't do what the law said. They did not love their neighbor as themselves. It's not what we know, but what we do. Mercy is exemplified in this example because we have a man who, these two people who passed by on the other side, they looked down at the Samaritan. He was a dog from their perspective. And, I, and like I said in Bible class, not one of the cute little puppies, you know, that we might think about when we think of dogs, how cute they are. In those days, dogs were vile creatures. They were wild and they would attack, they would bite, they were scared of them, they carried diseases. But uh, that's how they viewed the Samaritan. The Samaritan who was kind and merciful. Brother Paul Earnhardt says in his book, Imitation to a Spiritual Revolution, his book on the Sermon on the Mount, says the Pharisees with their separatist fervor were not ignorant of the law's demand that the sons of the covenant were to love their neighbor as themselves. But they understood that obligation to end at the borders of Israel. There were plenty to hate beyond the pale, and many, of, many in the nation held that it was not only their privilege, but their obligation to do so. We hate, we despise those heathens, those sinners. He goes on, the fact that the Pharisees were aware of the command to love, but floundered on the definition of neighbor is evidenced by the conversation with a certain lawyer. They knew the formula, but was yet but was yet to make a proper application. The lawyer in Luke 10 knew what the Lord, what the Lord had said. Who is my neighbor? He asked that question wanting to justify himself. I don't have to help those Samaritans. I don't have to help those Gentiles. And then you have a Samaritan stopping to show mercy. Now when someone sees and understands the need to be compassionate, compassionate towards others. You see the needs of others. And you sympathize with their pain. You seize the moment. And you do that which is kind. And you spend whatever's needed to take care of that time, whatever ability that you have. And you don't seek anything in return. 
We see the Samaritan here, and, and it's true. Here's a story demonstrating the need for mercy, the need of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some have pointed out this Samaritan also very clearly represents Jesus himself. Now that's not the point of the parable, but there are some parallels. And if you think of Jesus Christ, he knew what our need was. Jesus sympathized with our pain to what extent? He leaves the glories of heaven. And He comes to this world taking upon Himself the form of a servant. As John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. As the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 through 17, He took upon Himself the form of a servant. In all things He was made like us, is what He says. And you get into chapter 4 beginning in verse 15, and the point is made that He can sympathize with our weaknesses. How? Because He came like us. He took upon Himself the form of a slave. And He gave what He had, which was His life. And He sought nothing in return except our salvation, except our deliverance from sin. As Romans chapter 5 and verses 8 through 10 make clear, God's love is manifested in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Mercy is clearly exemplified by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus expressed his love to all those who didn't deserve, not a one deserved it. None of his most ardent disciples deserved his compassion and his love. None of us do either. Jesus' love and his mercy was not exclusive. He helped those who were in need. Samaritans, Gentiles. In fact, he marveled at the faith of a Gentile centurion. I've seen not this great a faith in all of Israel. He had a caring love that was manifested in how he treated others and how he supported the weak. Jesus made the determination to love others and, and thus exemplifies what it is to love. He taught and he healed. He fed the needy. He did good. He also went to the cross. Clearly his, his most clear manifestation of his love and mercy for us. Kenny Chumley says in the Gospel of Luke, the true test of Christian love is not how we treat the innocent, but how we treat the guilty. Love. As we sit at the feet of Jesus, we learn what true love is and how it is to be manifested. Love does not does not have fellowship with sin. It doesn't love iniquity. That's true. But it does love those who commit sin and does everything in its power to bring them into the love of Christ. Now, in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, as you read this passage, Paul is putting himself in this boat 
as we all are, as verse 3 says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceiving, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. All of us are in that group at one time in our life. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Therefore, we are all in desperate need of God's grace. His unmerited favor of God's mercy. That which he is not willing to pour out upon us his wrath. If we'll but repent and turn to him. And he will do that which is good and kind and provide salvation for us. Notice in fact what it says in verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. The idea is God's love and God's kindness is not the result of our righteous behavior. God's love and God's kindness is the result of His love. But according to His mercy, He saved us. His mercy poured out in Jesus. He saved us through His gift of love. Now, He saves us through something, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration is a reference to baptism, being immersed in Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. Baptism is required, absolutely, to be joined to Christ. And through the renewing of the Holy Spirit, that is the working of the Holy Spirit, not in some miraculous or mysterious way, but in that as we follow the teaching of the Spirit, as we follow the words of Christ, as we sit at Jesus' feet, we will become like Him and we will be renewed in our mind. And that begins at a point in time in which we were baptized into Christ and we're raised to walk in the newness of life. And it is by the Holy Spirit that we are raised up. Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope that we have. So, we serve a loving, merciful God. God is so kind and so loving so merciful, I think that if we were all just to stop and think about the love that God has for us, it would truly open our eyes to our need as well to become more loving and more merciful in our dealings with others. As we think about that, if we're truly His children, loving others will be what we do. Being merciful is how we behave. Because we are His children. Imitate God as His dear children, Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Do we recognize the need to be loving and merciful? You know, sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ can help us become more like Him. And there's no other way to become like Him. So hopefully these series of lessons are beneficial and helpful in us seeing our needs and our, the corrections we need to make and what we need to do to improve, we need to become like Christ. What about when it comes to our mercy? Are we as merciful as we ought to be? As, are we as loving and as kind as we should be? Something to think about. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never been, rendered, you've never been baptized into Christ, thus rendered uh, a child of God by faith. And so, why not this morning? Take Take the opportunity to become a child of God by faith and set your course, your life's course, on becoming like Jesus and having, having heaven as your eternal home.
It's not automatic. Something you have to put effort into. Hopefully our lesson this morning is beneficial. If we can help you in any way, won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.